as I break some ice with you this morning on a passage of scripture that I know has been a big part of your lives personally and the life of this church corporately. I just want us to take a a moment together today and and just remind ourselves in this room the next great awakening depends on you as much as it depends upon God. I want you just to kind of elbow the person next to you and say, this all depends on you. I want you to kind of remind them of that. Would you do that in case they've fallen asleep? Um, You can do that back there too, all right? So you don't get off the hook on this. Um, The the fact of the matter is the Word of God is very clear. And there's very few men in the world that I know that can take this passage of Scripture and, and expound upon it any better than your pastor. But my purpose this morning is to try to catch you up on then and now. One of, one of my great heroes is Jonathan Edwards. I, I may have a, a pic of him. He, he and I look an awful lot alike. He was uh, born in uh, somewhere in the early 1700s, probably about 1703. And in 1722, he got to a point in his life where he was at the end of his rope. He was pastoring at 19 years of age, a church in New York City, a Presbyterian church that was going through a a horrendous split. You might remember the pilgrims arrived as early as 1620. By 1720, Americans had learned how to split a church. And since then, there are congregations that have perfected that, but most of them are in East Texas. Their idea of mission work is to split a church, by the way, but, but I digress. So this is... A reminder that uh, what we're going through as a nation is not new. But what is new is that people will try to turn to man-made agencies to get them out of the mess they're in. And as early as 1722, a broken-hearted young man named Jonathan Edwards, before he was the Jonathan Edwards, he was just a 19-year-old broken-hearted young preacher who was beginning to wonder, did I surrender for this? Is, is this? is this what I've prepared for? Is this, is, this, is this all there is? Angry people shouting and yelling at each other and, and perfecting their arguments with, with Scripture and, and just siphoning the lifeblood out of the church that Jesus gave his blood for? Is this, is this it? Is this it? And, and, and he echoed what has been the broken-hearted prayer of countless pastors before then and since then. Trust me on this. Trust me on this. But he was at that point in his life when he came to the end of his rope and he wrote out in a space of about eight to nine months, 70 resolutions. I'll share more about those tonight. But, But the point is that within the context of this passage of Scripture today is one person... I love the picture that's been painted for you, one cry, because really God is not looking for a crowd. He's looking for one person, one person to cry out to him. And here it was in 1722, 1723. It didn't salvage the church it was in, but it salvaged the man so that he did not get twisted off and and embittered by a disappointing experience. And, And 
he formulated these 70 resolutions that he read every week for the rest of his life. And 13 years later, God used this man as the catalytic converter for the first great awakening as it broke out in another small town, not New York City, but Northampton, Massachusetts, a town of about 1,200 people. And as early as 1735, God began to do something through that little town and that church that shook the continent and, and, and reached all the way over to England and shook everything that they planted their flag on. And God began to do something that was so unique and so rare that it prepared the next generation of leaders that birthed this nation. Listen, one cry is, is a huge reminder to each one of us in this room that this passage of Scripture is for you and for me and not for the person next to us. And, and that the, the future of the next great awakening may be held within the breath that's in your lungs and, and the, the humility that it takes for you to simply say, I've come to the end of myself, but God, I want to come to the beginning of you and hands off of anything that I may do. I want to let go and I want to fall into your hands and I want you to rework me. I want you to influence those around me. And God, I want everything that you can bring into my life and pour it out on the others around me. But God, I will not live like this anymore. Now listen, dear people, if you just look with me in this passage of Scripture, it says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. There is a progression here. My people who are called by my name. This is a powerful reminder that these people are his children. These are God's children. This is his family he's talking to. He, he says to us that this is a word he has for his children, not the elite leaders within the context of then and now, not the elite leaders of the two major political parties that are trying to get your attention right now, nor, nor are they the radical fringe on the extremities of either one. This is God calling out to his children then and now. If my people who are called by my name, I, I want you to check your name today. Who, whose name do you wear? Whose name do you represent? I've been walking through that with my father. He's 90 years of age, and I was preparing some stuff for him for Father's Day and did some research, found out that my father's relationships go all the way back to England and the Puritans that came shortly after the pilgrims, and his family landed in Connecticut, stayed there for a brief period of time, and started the first English-speaking church on the eastern end of Long Island in Suffolk County in 1740. He planted the first English-speaking church, Anglican church, in America. Found out uh, as I went over that with him, Dad, you remember you went back up there in 1960 to plant churches, not knowing that your family landed there in 1640. And Dad went up there to plant about 10 or 12 churches up there in 1960 within about 50 miles of where his family first landed. Uh, only God could kind of put that together. But, but as, as I walked him through some of this, I, I began to discover what was going on in their lives at, at that period of time. And, and these are people that had a passion then as we need a passion now that we will not live like this. We will do something different under God. 
And, and the challenge for us is to know where our name is. And our name is not in our pedigree. Uh, listen, my family didn't come over on the Mayflower. I'm pretty sure they used a U-Haul. But it is one of these things that we must look at individually that we come to a realization at some point in time, my father expects more of me. My father expects me to listen to him. If my people who are called by my name, listen, call these people whatever you have to, the liberal left or the radical right. You can take a, a shot at lawless judges. You can take a, a hit at confounded Congress. You can malign them if you have to. But the fact of the matter is they hold no sway. They, they hold no sway over the hand of God. We, we sometimes get our attention off the, the things that, that matter the most. And listen, when there's a need for corporate revival, we're not, we're not encouraged to run to the President of the United States. We're, we're not encouraged to run to the Congress of the United States. We're not encouraged to run to the Supreme Court of the United States. We are encouraged to run to God. And I'm, I'm challenging you to, to, to mute the voices that are screaming in your ear. We have, we have answers for you. We, we have answers for you. And, and listen to the word of God who's calling out to you. If my people who are called by my name will come to me as the source for the only thing that they really need and, and the, one, the only one that can really provide it, if my people will allow me to bring it to him. The Father calls upon those who bear his name to remember his name and to repent and to return to him. And you hold, listen, you hold sway over the hand of God that can change the climate of awakening in this land overnight. He, he was listening to the voice of a 19-year-old boy and I believe we are at that moment in time when God is looking across this nation for one person who will call out to him with a heartfelt trust in him that they have reached the point in their life where they know, they know that they just simply can't do it alone. I'll just simply quote this about Jonathan Edwards for you and I'll share more tonight. He said, at this point in his life, being sensible, I'm unable to do anything without God's help. Listen, that's one smart 19 and a half year old. Being sensible, I am unable to do anything without God's help. That, that's the problem. It says here, humble themselves. Now this is the rub. This is where it really gets us. This is the rock in the shoe. This is the bone in the throat. Because it said, this is the rub. People are full of themselves, are rarely excited about emptying themselves until they come to the end of themselves. In, in Texas, we have this phrase, that old boy's really full of himself. Now, when we moved to New York, and I used that as a 10-year-old boy, I'd say, that old boy's really full of himself. They took that as a compliment. They're, they're, they're handsome people, but not real smart. They, they didn't understand that they were being put down. You, you see, those who humble themselves are the ones that God listens to and, and embraces. It is, it is humbling, particularly for men, to come to the end of one's rope. We're master rope makers. And we have to agree with God's verdict on our human effort if we keep reproducing the same rope, that, that same man-made fiber, all it does is it leaves burns on our hands and it, it snaps when we really need to pull the load that needs to be pulled. But God's saying, humble yourself. 
But pride turns people into rope makers. Uh, my challenge for you this morning to humble yourselves is to stop making rope. Uh, instead, just start admitting that, that we have tied this nation up into knots. And we just simply can't untie them. As a little boy, when I, I, I was learning to tie my, my shoes, and, and I'm left-handed, and everybody that wanted to teach me how to tie my shoes was right-handed, and, and it just, you know, I mean, it just, don't ask me to go through that. It's still a trauma for me. I, I, and I, I remember knots were everywhere in my life. And, and I, the one person that I could come to <laughs> to get the knots out of my shoes was my dad. <laughs> and I'd come to him, just did it again. I just, I remember this vividly. And, and I, you know, he said, well, let's sit down. Let's just, let's just learn this again. I, uh, I mean, I just remember, the, I just remember this vividly. But he could get the thoughts out of my shoes. And I knew that nobody else, well, other people could do it, but they'd make you feel even smaller. You know those people that, yeah, I'll help you, but you're going to pay for this. And that's all God's doing. Just bring me your knots. Stop making rope. There's enough knots. And, and he says to his children, just let go and, and fall into my hands. I'm the only one who can bring renewal out of this chaos that you've created. But to keep making man-made rope only postpones awakening. Listen, <laughs> when we make rope, we just provide enough rope to hang ourselves. And that's not the future God has for us. This is time for us to be sensible and recognize we're unable to do anything without God's help. Well, we must move on. And, and I love what's next. And pray. God's simplest solution is rarely man's first choice. Now, uh, women get credit for praying more than men. That's probably true because if they're married, they really pray a lot. But God's simplest solution is rarely man's first choice. I'll just kind of put that where it is. If, if you want to clear a room of men, call a prayer meeting. I, I mean, you, you can call it a prayer meeting if you add it pancakes with it, but usually you have more pancakes than prayer. I have a little piece of advice for you. Never hold hands at a men's prayer meeting where you have pancakes. You just never can break the bond. I mean, the syrup's everywhere. But, but this is something hugely important to know, that the next step after humility is to pray. You see, prideful people are prayerless people. And so the simplest solution is there for us, but it just sticks in a man's throat because he hates to admit he's wrong. He hates to admit he can't fix this. But pride only postpones prayer and prayerlessness postpones awakening and we substitute logic and reason and study and research and talk and pride is that part of our nature that's always looking for a complex solution to a simple problem but I go back to what G. Campbell Morgan said years ago prayer is simply how we set our sails to catch the wind of heaven L listen folks if the surf's up but, but you haven't lifted the sail, you're just going you're gonna to be dead in the water. And so he's, he's coming to his people and just saying, lift the sail. I've started, to, I've started a wind blowing. I believe with all my heart God is up to something. Where we go, where, who people we talk to, I, I'm sensing there's a hunger level. I believe God is preparing. God is preparing a people whose names we may not know yet, 
And some may not even have been born yet because when God was preparing Jonathan Edwards in 1722, Sam Adams, James Otis, some of the great leaders of the awakening had not even been born yet. And, and people who had become uh, targets of God's Holy Spirit to be utilized to birth a new nation had not even been born yet. So listen, when God starts moving, you, you've got to have the sails up in order to catch what he's doing. And he says, seek my face. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Seek my face. This is the childlike desire to be a pleasure to one's father. Children love to shout, watch me, watch me. And what, what dad in this room has not heard these words? Daddy, 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 stop it. And what they're wanting you to do is what, guys? Have you figured that out yet? Look at me. It's not enough for you to hear them. They want to see your face. I mean, children get this. This is just amazing. Children get this. And and of course, mommy hears it, you know, mommy only hears it most when she finally sits down to rest. That, that's when the intensity kicks in. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Or you get on the phone, ladies, uh, you know, just children suddenly, suddenly, you know, can't stand for somebody to have your attention. And, and so, they, and, and have you ever had children do this? They take you by their, with their little hands and, and put their, are you with me on this? They put their hands and, and just... They will turn you away from what you're looking at to look at them. Listen, it's put there by God. (laughs) Seek my face. He's saying to you, just become a little child again. Come to me, and I'll look at you, and, and we can do this together. But listen, the beauty of this is children can't envision doing anything, great or small, without their parents' eyes watching them and taking pleasure in it. And, and, and my children were no different. And I'm not saying that we raise perfect kids because, listen, you, you better be watching your kids all, all the time. Um, our, our youngest, who was here with us the last time I, I spoke, I remember vividly my uh, oldest daughter said, Daddy, uh, Allison's in the refrigerator. Allison, get out of the refrigerator. I'm, you know, I wasn't standing. I was conformed to the image of the couch. You guys know what I'm talking about. You got the remote control. I'm, I'm watching the kids. And, and, and so I said, Allison, get out, get out, of, the, get out of the refrigerator. Daddy, Allison's in the refrigerator. I heard you. Uh, Allison, get out of the refrigerator, you know, because you, you can remote and talk at the same time. And so um, the third time was a charm. Daddy, Allison's in the refrigerator. I jump up. I, I mean, I just, I just breathless. I run around the couch into the kitchen, and, and here's the picture I get. Here's this little munchkin with a grin on her face as big as Dallas with her little buns up on the shelf in the refrigerator and she's closing the door (laughs) folks she was in the refrigerator (laughs) and I just remember seeing this little crack you know and a little smile and and I she just wanted to see daddy's face be totally terrified and I remember I just yanked that door off she come flying out and I you know she's you know hit the probably the wall in the next room but I I, I, she was crying and I'm trying to explain to her this is not good we don't ever want to do this again because if your mom ever finds out about this I I mean so you you know it's important uh, for you to be watching your children God is watching okay he's seen you with your buns in the refrigerator all right it's time for the two eyes to get connected here and, and to have something fixed. It, listen, 
Pleasing the Father must take precedent over making a name for yourself. And so we're children who are called by his name. We need to seek his face and become intent upon, upon being intimate with him at every level of our lives. I love what old A.W. Tozer said. Those who are intimate with God are rarely intimidated by man. And that's what he's inviting us to do. Listen, uh, we live in a country that's overwhelmed with some things that need to be taken care of. I'm just simply admitting to you, I, I can't take care of them. I, I've been around enough government leaders in the last year in probably about 20 different states. Um, they can't either. Okay, these are good people. I'm not running them down. I'm, I'm just, it, it's just overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. How, how do you protect something from happening that happened in Aurora, Colorado? I mean, how many police do you hire? Because when evil is unleashed in a land, it just runs amok. It just runs amok. How are you gonna? How are you gonna? How are you gonna correct that without an awakening? Without God doing something in people's lives that is. It can't be explained by any other way except God did this. Now, now, if you want to put your name on it and say, we did that, then we'll go through this cycle again like we did in the late 60s and early 70s when God's spirit began to move across this nation and, and we saw baptisms flooding uh, into our Southern Baptist churches. Our, our highest spike in baptism still remains the early 50s after the great student awakenings of 1949 followed by student-led revivals all throughout our churches in Southern Baptist life, and, and thousands of young people were, were saved and, and seminaries filled. Then in the, the late 60s, early 70s, the spike again of baptisms came from the Jesus Revolution and, and people getting to a, a point of their lives allowing spiritual awakening then to penetrate their churches. But, but, but when we started putting our names on it and, and started saying, well, here's what we did at our church, and we started writing books and refining it and getting it down to a science, we called it a church growth movement. God just takes his hand off of it and says, you want to push this up the hill, you go right ahead. But listen, this next one, here's what I'm saying to you. Let's get it right on the front end. Let's humble our, ourselves and say, we have blown this nine ways from Dallas. And if this wind ever starts blowing again, we promise you, we will put your name on the boat. We will put your name on the sails. We will put your name on the uniforms. We will tattoo it on our foreheads if we have to. But we will remember, God did this. And this is what we're calling out for, something that only God can get credit for. Listen, turn from their wicked ways. So important today because the church is known not from about, not by turning from their wicked ways, but by yelling at everybody else who's riding a fast horse to hell to turn it around and stop moving in their wicked ways. You do realize that, don't you? You, you as a church, me as a pastor, we're known by telling people that what they're doing is wrong. That's what they think of us. That, that all those people do is judge the sin in my life, but they're not quite as excited about judging the sin in their own lives. Look at the focus here. Turn from their wicked ways. 
Now, you can go out and nail 2% of the population for, for not getting it right on whether it's one man or you know, one woman or how, listen, there, there's 98% of us understand the right you know, thing, 2% are committed to doing the wrong thing, but if you're going to spend 98% of your time yelling at the 2% that are doing the wrong thing, all you're going to be known for is being lost in the tall grass. And, and, and listen, people do not turn their horse around by people who are shouting and yelling and screaming at them to, to turn it around. They just keep riding it to hell. But when they see the people of God moving in a fresh new direction with a beaming face full of the love of God and, and knowing that they have left sin behind in their own lives, they're willing to follow a crowd moving in the right direction, but not people that scream at them on the way to hell. Listen, my people are the ones that are be turned from their wicked ways. And, and listen, focusing on the waywardness of another doesn't keep God's children on course. We must be focused of looking at the error in our lives that will accumulate. And all it has to be is just one degree off course. But for a prolonged period of time, you will reach that point of no return. And that's the, 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 the powerful message. How long is this going to go on? Because our churches used to know awakening in this nation every generation or every hundred years or so at least. And it's been a long time since we've called out to God for something that only he can bring. Listen, folks, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and they turn. Listen, I know telling people they're moving in the wrong direction, you know, even within a church family, sometimes rubs the cat the wrong way. That's what old Billy Sunday was told back in the early 1920s. Billy Sunday, you, you just, boy, when you preach, you just rub the fur the wrong way. And here was his line, let the cat turn around. But, but his message was to the church. You, you see, the challenge for us is then. Here's the divine aha. Here's the turning point. Here's the tipping point. That, that, that these are the days, I believe, the, of the pregnant pause just before the powerful moment in history when God reveals how he has been at work to deliver his people God is going to be surprising us all how he was in touch even now with the unexpected and the neglected. Those that we would not necessarily see as those that he would use, he will surprise us all. We don't know the names of these people, but God has chosen them to lead the next great awakening. He knows their names, and he's at work in their lives right now. And my, my, my joy that I share with you is that God is at work. God is moving. And now we may not know the names of these people yet, but he has selected them. He knows their names. And listen, that ought to encourage us this morning. I want you to kind of elbow the person next to you and say, hey, I'm a little more encouraged. I started off kind of rough, but I'm starting to get encouraged. Why don't you say that to him? This might help a little bit. We'll wrap this up pretty quick. Because he says here, and he says, I will hear. We're about to get into the promises of this. I will hear. Thank God he does. Amen. I mean, thank God he hears us. Well, these are not shouts of despair. The prayer is not an exercise in futility, a, a shot in the dark, or a shout of despair. Prayer is how we get in touch with God to do something only he can do. It's how we put on the night vision goggles to see what he's up to. And, and so the beauty of this is God says, I will hear. You may be desperate, but you shouldn't be despondent about what God is calling us to do. 
Be desperate, but don't ever get despondent. Listen, the desperate prayer warrior calls out for the champion. When you've got all the fight you can handle, you, you help me now. And the champion shows up on the scene. And, and the, enemy, uh, the enemy is afraid of him. And they're not afraid of you, but they do tremble when you pray. Because it's not so much the power of your prayer, it's the power of the champion who's on his way. And so I will hear, and then he says, I will forgive. I love this. One of my favorite words in the, in the New Testament. This is the deal breaker for the excuse maker, though. If you're going to keep making excuses, you'll never know the beauty of forgiveness. God is not some timid parent seeking the approval of his wayward children. Oh, I don't know if I should tell them that. Oh, I'm not sure. They, oh, you know, I, I love them, but oh, I just hate to correct them. God has no problem with that. God's not interested in being your pal. He's just going to be God. And we, listen, that's, a, that's really good news. And I would say to any child in this room, if you've got a parent who's committed to being a parent and not your pal, you ought to thank God for that too. Because this is the beauty of it. If they seek his face, God turns his face away from their sinful conduct. But listen, when God turns to face sin, he judges it. That's why it's so important for us to turn before he turns to us. <laughs> because it's all about the sense of direction. Hey, listen, God wants to meet you at the point where your pride ends and your journey back to him begins. And when Jesus took on the sin of a world, God turned his head. And he's simply never willing to reward wrong behavior from a disobedient child. I, I just challenge us here today. I don't know what it is in your life personally, but God reminds me regularly of what it is in my life that needs to be taken care of. I, and just deal with him with the shortest accounts possible. Forgive carries this powerful picture of grace, but it's not heaven's answer to the monopoly game, um, get out of jail free. That, that's not what this is. Um, this is a very powerful word. It means to be merciful, uh, to be propitious, to, be, to pardon, to lift up, to spare. I love this word, spare. It carries an idea of lightness to it, to show oneself gentle. Um, I had an experience uh, on my way to, from Fort Worth to Yellville, Arkansas, Friday. 12-hour trip, about an hour away from Yellville, people following behind us call us and say, your tire's on fire. And we're in one of these little mountain roads up in the Ozarks where there's just no place to pull off, and they've, they've got a burn ban going on, and I mean, it's dry as anything I've ever seen up there, and the, and the dry grass is about two feet high off the road, no shoulder, and I thought, man, if I pull off here, I'm going to start a forest fire here. I mean, this, if I've got a tire on fire, if I had no choice, I pull off at the only little driveway I could find, a little gravel driveway, and, and I can see the smoke from my rearview mirror, so I wasn't sure it was on fire or whether it was about to burst into flames. I knew I was in trouble, and so this fellow comes running out of his house, and fortunately he waves me in to back up into his little driveway. The guy had a, a, a jack, had a compressor, uh, had some shade in 104-degree heat. We had to unload the car. I'd like to find the engineer that designed where to put a jack on a Suburban. I, I, I've, I've got some words to share with him, but I can't get into those this morning. So, so here we are, and then you try to now get the spare dislodged from underneath. Oh, they have another little trick to how to do that, so we'll, that engineer I'd like to find too, because it's not like it used to be. 
and then they give you this little jack about this, about this tall with, a, with about four little pieces to put together, and it's 104 degrees. And I mean, I'm, my walk with God is under real pressure here. And he said, I, I got Jack, and he throws that thing under there and about three little, you know, cranks. This thing's, you know, up four feet. And so we get the spare, and we get the thing, you know, I get this, what's left of this tire. And, I mean, it was a mess. It was just a mess. It didn't burst into flames, but it was close to it, and we red hot. And uh, I, the word spare came, came to my mind as I was preparing this message, but, but it had a whole new meaning to me. Uh, because, listen, folks, here we are as a nation. We're sitting on four blown-out tires. They're red-hot, and we just keep driving faster in the wrong direction. Smoke's going everywhere, and we wonder why people aren't following us. Because we look like idiots. We look like flaming idiots. But forgiveness is when God's, God says, you know, i got a spare for you. I got four. I'll put four good ones on the ground for you. I, listen, I, I, that's a mess. If you're willing to admit that's a mess, I got the spare for you. And, and the forgiveness is you don't have to live like this. You don't have to drive like this. You don't have to put up with this. You just have to come to me. And, and I'm the one that can put those spares on the ground. And listen, it's a whole new trip when you've got four good tires on the ground. You go a whole lot farther rather than, listen, I had three bad ones and one blown out one. I wasn't about to nurse those any farther. I get them to Yellville. I said, I want to know who's the guy in town that you trust the most that sells tires. Got his name, put four new ones on the ground. Because my wife and my children have got to drive that thing back from Yellville, Arkansas, back to Fort Worth. And I'm going to tell you something about Yellville, Arkansas. You can't get anywhere from there. So I'm going to leave them with, with lousy tires? Are you kidding me? I'm calling out to the best tire man I can find. I'm asking you today, would you call out to God and say, we have blown the tires out. We're going 90 to nothing in the wrong direction. We're going to pull this thing over. We're going to ask you to jack it up and put on the wheels we need so that we can carry some people with us in the right direction under God. We have blown it. We've lost our way. We need your help. And we're calling out to you because we have nowhere else to go. Is anybody in this room with me? That's what I'm talking about this morning. And then he says that I will heal their land. These three promises are meant to be an encouragement for God's children, not to, not to talk it to death, but to pray. You see, when we talk about something, we hardly ever talk it to death. We just talk it to a new level of life in fear. And so he's saying to us, these promises are for you. Prayer leads you to the land of promise. Anything less is a detour through the wilderness. And now and then, the church needs to be reminded of God's plan for awakening. Before there was a then, there was a now. There was a now when Jonathan Edwards began to pray. He said, I can't live like this. Uh, this church is blown up and I can't fix it. You, you are privileged to be in a wonderful place, but never, never forget that the blessings that God has poured out upon this church are meant to be spread around a world. And, and he's calling on Sherwood Baptist Church to pray. So we pray a lot around here. I, I'm, okay, let me just say, has anybody prayed too much lately? Okay, me either. So, so here is where we are. He will heal their land. 
And the turning point for a nation is not election day, but it hinges on the bended knees and the humbled hearts of God's children. And I'm asking today, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The invitation that I came to give you, I shared with your staff, is this. Very simple. Your pastor, this is not my invitation to call you to the altar. That may come later from the men that represent this church. I, I do have, as a brother in Christ, a responsibility to challenge you to call out to what the Word of God says. This isn't my altar, but I do have, from good word, that if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and, and turn and, and pray, that God begins to do something only he can get credit for. Here's my invitation. I'm going to ask you just to stand where you are. You don't have to come forward, but I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. If you want to do this with me right now, I'm going to count to three, and we're going to call out to God in prayer, and we're going to call out to him as loud as we sang. And we're going to ask God to heal our land and let it begin right around this chair where we are. And let, listen, let our voices be heard in heaven this morning. Are you ready? Take a deep breath. One, two, three. Pray.